you turn, in your, turn with me in your Bibles to Matthew 28 this morning, we'll be prepared for our study together. And if you pray with me as well. Father, thank you for a rich day of being able to worship you together in the way that you've called us to worship you, that we're to worship together in unique times like this, and we're to give ourselves to the apostles' doctrine and to prayer, to fellowship, and things like that. And we're grateful to be able to do that together as a church and to be able to have our delight be in Christ. Thank you for the power of the gospel that affects men and that affects women and affects boys and girls, that gives us hope. And Lord, this morning as we consider how we should act as Christians in response to the gospel, in response to Christ's greatness, may we be prepared to leave here motivated by grace uh, in a city that needs Christ and needs His impact and influence, certainly needs His gospel. And so, Lord, may we leave with that in mind today, having met with you through your word. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to join, ask you to join me in looking at the last three verses of Matthew 28. I realize they're familiar. The last two are very familiar. But if you look at Matthew 28, but we'll look at verse 18, which we sometimes miss and uh, unfortunately so. So let's read 28, 18, pause, then 19 and 20. It says, And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Familiar words, sometimes we miss the the, the significance of 18. But because of the significance of 18, because Jesus has all authority... And because Jesus says, make disciples, literally as you are going, and because he says, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, this morning we are going to talk about baptism, Christian water baptism. Because Jesus has all authority, Jesus says this is a mandate, that's reason enough for me to say I'm motivated to say, let's, let's pause and say, what about Christian water baptism? I guess I have one more motivation, and that would be that it's been a long, long time since we talked about it on a Sunday morning. Um, I have not preached on water baptism on a Sunday morning for at least a decade. And uh, how many of you were here a decade ago? Yeah, not too many of you. I mean, in this church, not on this. Anyway, Um, it was enough for us to have a family fight last night because I told my wife, Molly, that I was going to preach on water baptism, and I haven't for at least 10 years. And uh, then we argued for hours. No, we didn't. But she said, oh, yes, you have. And I said, oh, no, I haven't. She said, oh, yes, you have. And, you know, it got out of control. Anyway, it didn't. But she said, you talk about baptism all the time. And I said, actually, on a Sunday morning, I haven't preached on baptism for over 10 years. But probably what she's thinking, perhaps what you're thinking, if you've been to a baptism service at Omaha Bible Church, we have them regularly, but we have them on Sunday nights. And uh, we do talk about it because there's a baptism service. We're going to talk about it this morning because of who Jesus Christ is, because it is a command from Him, and because 
it'd be good for us to talk about it because we haven't talked about it in a long time. Maybe I'll give you a couple more reasons off the top of my head. One might be that you need to be baptized, that you've never experienced Christian water baptism. Another reason might be you have experienced Christian water baptism, but you need a little motivator. You need a little refresher course. Maybe here's a little motivator for you to listen this morning. According to my non-scientific study, just looking at some numbers and surveys, Omaha, Nebraska is 60%, ready for a big theological term, sacramentalist. Omaha, 60% sacramentalist. That means Omaha, 60% of the people who live in Omaha, apparently, rough numbers, believe that water baptism somehow gives them the righteousness that they need to be ready to meet God. Well, that right there, number one, isn't true. We'll talk about that. That should motivate you to say, I want a a little refresher course on baptism so that I'm more equipped to be able to talk to 60% of Omaha. Because you can be then better equipped to talk to 60% of Omaha about the gospel, that we get righteousness from God based upon Christ and Christ alone and trusting in Him and trusting in Him alone. So I hope you're motivated. I hope you're on the edge of your seat. Seat belts fastened, tray tables up, no smoking in the lavatories, uh, no fights breaking out. It's a federal offense. <laughs> Let's go. Nine questions about Christian water baptism that I think will be helpful questions. Nine helpful questions about Christian water baptism. And number one, what's important about it? What's important about it? And I think we've already seen that in verse 18. What's important about it is the one who instituted it. In one sense, you'd say, who's important about it? It's important because Jesus says, this is a mandate for us. This is a priority for us. And so we want to take that seriously. If Jesus has all authority and he says, do it, then we want to stand up and take note. And we want to sit up and pay attention. This comes from none other than Jesus himself. Also do notice in verse 19, this command to make disciples. And if you've been studying the Bible very long at all, you'll know that the command actually isn't as you uh, go. The command is actually make disciples. But it is nevertheless a command. Make disciples, baptizing them. Omaha Bible Church, hear this message. We're Christians. We're disciples. We, therefore, by extension, have the command by Jesus, who has all authority, that we are to baptize disciples. So this is a priority for us. We not only want to make disciples, we want to baptize disciples. This is a big deal. It's also important because it's essentially Christian. Did you see there that he says, name of the Father, name of the Son, name of the Holy Spirit? That's essentially Christian. Putting Jesus who was crucified, having lived a perfect life, putting Jesus who rose again from the dead, having been crucified, putting Jesus in the same sentence putting Jesus on par, if you will, with the Father? This is unique to Christianity. This is distinctly Christian. We're going to baptize people not just in the name of God, not just in the name of Yahweh, not just in the name of the Lord. We're going to baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit because we're talking about the one true, unique Christian God. What's important about it? What's important about it is it's distinctly Christian. Maybe one other um, issue related to its importance, and that would be the importance of what it isn't. And I don't want to get us too sidetracked yet, but if you turn to Galatians chapter 1, let's make sure we understand that this is a really important issue for us to talk about because we do need to know what it isn't. Okay, Galatians is 
one of those books that I probably wouldn't, I wouldn't use the kind of terminology in Galatians, um, apart from teaching the Bible, uh, I don't think I'd use it in a social setting, at least some of the stuff that's used in Galatians. Galatians is, is, is rough stuff. Galatians is where the Apostle Paul draws the line in the sand, and it's not a little line, it's a big, fat line. And the Apostle Paul draws this giant line in the sand and says, this is gospel, this isn't gospel, and if you cross the line, it's condemnation for you. And he uses some really harsh terminology. Harsher than he uses in Philippians chapter 3 where he's dealing with the same kind of issue where he says anybody who promotes a different gospel is a dog and an evil worker. Here's what I want you to see in Galatians chapter 1. Galatians chapter 1 verse 8, the Apostle Paul says, But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, so if we say we changed our mind on what the gospel is, or some other apostle comes, or even somebody from heaven comes, let him be accursed, damned, anathema. Verse 9, as we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. You know, you got the double-barrel shotgun for emphasis. There's only one gospel, and if somebody tells you that they have a different gospel, or they don't even tell you that they have a different gospel, they're damned. Yikes. This is not PC, politically correct, at all. This is not postmodern at all, that it can be both ways, as long as you're sincere in your heart, okay? So... We haven't even talked about what the gospel is yet, but he draws that line in the sand and says, if anybody gives you a different gospel. So I want to just start by saying, what's important about this? What's important about this is if somehow your belief about baptism causes you to believe the wrong gospel other than the biblical gospel, the word he uses is anathema. The stakes are really, really high. Okay? A lot of people believe that baptism is a part of the gospel. And a lot of people don't believe that baptism is a part of the gospel. You need to know what you believe. <laughs> okay? The stakes are really high. They really are high. Is salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in the finished work of Christ alone, with baptism being something important that you must do in response to Jesus, or is salvation by believing in Jesus and then you being baptized and then you're made acceptable? They're not the same. They're on different sides of the Galatian line. Maybe if you're looking for something to read today, you can read Galatians um, and be ready. Okay? Be ready. Well, hopefully we'll get back to that subject matter in just a little while, but we need to move past number one or we will be having lunch here. Um, what should we cater? Does anybody have a cell phone? <laughs> Famous Dave's is close. How many feasts do we need? Jimmy John's, all right. I like a number 10, uh, number 10 uh, no mayo, sauce, oregano, and peppers, please. Not that I've ever been to Jimmy John's. <laughs> Let's move on to a second question, seriously. Number two, second helpful question, what is the basis for it? 
What is the basis for it? Well, I think we've already seen that, really. Jesus is the one who is the basis for it. He has supreme authority, and he says, do it. But we could add to that, elaborate on that. We, we do need to make a commitment here and say, the Bible's got to be the basis for it. Okay, it's the Christian book. We say we're Christians. Christians have said they believe the Bible is true, and it's their ultimate authority. And so we do need to, to say we're going to make that commitment, not the commitment of what Pat writes down or what Pat says. Somehow we've got to be like Bereans and examine the Scriptures to see if these things are so. The Bible's got to be our basis. We need to remember that the basis for what we believe about baptism or anything else cannot be history. I love history. History is something I love more and more the older I get because I feel historic maybe. I don't know. But I, I, I love church history. My new favorite thing to read on my favorite list is historical theology. I just I can't get enough. Give, give me a vacation and give me options for books. I want to read historical theology. It's so helpful to see all the stuff that's already been worked through. There's already been battles over major issues, and you can learn a lot so you don't have to always make all the same mistakes. Huge fan. But we have to remember that just because something's happened in history doesn't mean it's true. doesn't mean it's Christian. Don't buy the lie that says if it's old, it's true. That's why I like to say, as I've been saying for years, antiquity doesn't equal orthodoxy. Antiquity doesn't equal orthodoxy. Just because it's old doesn't mean it's true. Here's a classic case in point. The Bible when it comes to Christianity, it's pretty old. It's kind of a duh moment, okay? It's being written when Christianity is being born. Galatians had to be written because of error. Colossians had to be written because of error. In part, Philippians had to be written because of error. First Corinthians, error. Second Corinthians, error. So if you conclude that if it's old, it has to be true, you can't conclude that. You're going to say, this is 2nd century. This is late 1st century. This is 3rd century. This is 6th century. We know it's true. I'm going to say, wait a minute, the Bible's not even done being written yet, and there were huge heresies where Paul would have to say, if you believe that, you're damned. So remember that history is a great, great thing to learn from, but you can't base your eternal destiny on it. You can prove anything with history. You've got to sort it out with the Bible. Now, I suppose still answering that question, what is the basis for it, I would also want to say uh, there is uh, some Old Testament Jewish basis for Christian water baptism because there was baptism going on in the Old Testament. Even think about John the Baptist. He's kind of a tweener, we call him. You know, John the Baptist is like an Old Testament prophet, pre-Christian, pre-cross, and yet he's pointing people to Christ. John the Baptist, remember, they were talking about the baptism of John. We wouldn't call that Christian baptism because Christianity officially hadn't even started yet. But this was a normal thing. All kinds of Jewish ceremonial washings and identifying uh, ceremonies. It's a, pr- a pretty normal thing. If you go to Israel today, you can stand outside of the temple and you can see there on the one end, my directions are foggy, so I don't remember even which end it is. I think it's the south side. You can see all kinds of baptismal pools. Now, they may not call them that, but that's where they were washing pools. In fact, you can see them there because what you would need to do is you'd need to walk down in because you're dirty. You've made the trek to, trek to Jerusalem, and you are not going into the temple to do worship when you're dirty, not just physically, but even ceremonially. You walk down in, 
And you don't walk back up those stairs because they're dirty. You walk back up the other side on the fresh stairs. Very, very concerned with the religious symbolism even of washings. And so Jesus takes Old Testament background purification rites, identification rites through these kinds of things like John's baptism. And he says, you go and make disciples for me, the king, the resurrected one, and you baptize them. You guys know all about baptism, but you baptize them not just in the name of God, but in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. So he, he, he depends upon that. It wasn't something utterly and completely new. Now let's move on to another question. Number three, the next helpful question about Christian water baptism is, what is it? What is it? I was going to say, now we jump into the deep end of the pool, but that would really be cheesy, so I won't do that. Let me offer, thank you for the courtesy laughs too. Um, you guys don't have to give offering next week. Okay. <laughs> couple of statements I think that are helpful to, to have us think through what it is and then we'll talk about passages. In light of Matthew 28, 18, 19, and 20, let me give you a definition. A ceremony instituted by Jesus for His disciples whereby they identify with Him as the divine Savior and Lord. It's Matthew 28, 18, 19, and 20. A ceremony instituted by Jesus for His disciples whereby they identify with Him as the divine Savior and Lord. They're identifying... Baptized in the name of. That's identification. And he's the same as God the Father. As far as on the same list, equality. That's a big deal. It's a huge big deal. I think baptism is a big deal. Sometimes what we do is we forget just who Jesus is, that he commanded it. And and we're so afraid because we don't want to be sacramentalists and I don't want to be a sacramentalist believing it somehow justifies me, but we go so far the other way, we say, baptism is just, and then we fill in the sentence. Baptism is just identification with Jesus. It's not anything else. Baptism is just a, a sign. Baptism is just an outward commitment of an inward reality. I hear what you're saying, but you know what? All authority has been given to me. And what does he say to his disciples? Go and make disciples and baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Wow! Baptism is just huge. <laughs> it's not to be belittled. It's a, it's, it's a big deal. It's a big deal. Maybe further definition if you want to be technical. It is a declaration of independence. Americans like that. Patriotic. We don't want to depend upon anybody. Well, let's keep reading it. It is a declaration of independence from all other sovereigns or kings or lords and religious affiliation, as well as a declaration of dependence upon and allegiance to Jesus of Nazareth. I'm going to stand up and I'm going to say, I'm identifying with Jesus. He's my Lord. He's my everything. He's my God. That's a declaration of dependence. And I'm declaring independence from all other religions, all other uh, authorities. He's my sovereign. It's a big deal. It's a major big deal. Furthermore, what is it? And here's where more controversy comes. It is by immersion. It is by immersion. That's the basic meaning of the word. Baptizo is not translated in your Bible. It's transliterated. 
It would have been too controversial to translate it, so they just did a gloss. Baptism. Baptizo to baptism. Leave it alone. That's what church splits are made of. Don't touch that one. If you're on the translating committee for an English Bible and you translate it literally, immerse, how do you explain that to your kids? When you do sprinkling in your church. It doesn't work. But baptizo means immerse. So we practice baptism by immersion. That's a redundancy. We practice baptism by baptism. <laughs> we practice immersion by immersion. Um, we practice immersion. We practice baptism. Just means the same thing. My favorite sprinkler of all time sounds crazy. As a rain tree, um, <laughs> my fa- my favorite sprinkler of all time is John Calvin, who I respect very much and uh, I admire. I'll quote him in his Institutes of the Christian Religion, page thirteen hundred and twenty. The word "baptize" means to immerse. And it is clear that the rite of immersion was observed in the ancient church. End of quotation. What's kind of interesting, just off, off topic a little bit, if you go to the church where John Calvin pastored uh, in Geneva, Switzerland, St. Peter's, um, which was Catholic before the Protestant Reformation came to Geneva, um, thus St. Peter's, but anyway... Um, where he pastored, you go there, and what's interesting is if you go down in the basement, there's an archaeological site. Now, I don't know if this had been unearthed when he was still alive or not, but it's kind of ironic because if you go down there, um, you know, they built church upon church upon church. This one wears out, tear it down, build another one. But they kept building up the city, and you go down there, and there's a church dated from I don't know when. It's, it's, it's very old. And uh, sure enough, the baptismal font is a baptismal font. <laughs> so, all along, John Calvin preaching those sermons on top of his uh, baptistry. <laughs> it's good irony. Um, he was a Baptist at heart. He didn't even know it. Um, so anyway, just kind of interesting. That doesn't prove that it's right or wrong, but it's, it's interesting. I listened to a, a, another um, man preaching not that long ago who I would consider a friend. We would agree on the gospel, but he was waxing eloquent about we know that it had to be sprinkling and it wasn't by immersion because we know that in ancient Palestine it was so arid and so dry uh, that they just didn't have water readily available to them. And, uh, you know, if that's what you want to hear, you know, you just eat it down and go, yeah, that's true. Mm, hadn't thought about that, Pastor. Amen. Oh, no, we're about not Baptists, but anyway... <laughs> Well, he either hasn't been to Israel, hasn't read a lot of history, um, or he just has a, a short memory like I do. Because again, if you go to Israel, the Jews were freakish about bathing. If you're going to do any kind of religious thing, you're going to have a pool. You've got to have a pool because you've got to get clean in order to go meet with God. And so the reality is that was a major priority, a major priority. So if you're not signed up for the Israel trip, there you go. There's motivation for you. Number four. So it's by immersion. Number four. Who is it for? Who is it for? Well, let's turn to Acts chapter 8 and see an example of this. Acts chapter 8. Let's see that it's not only immersion in the name of Jesus as a religious ceremony. Let's see who it's for. Acts 8 is just a good sampling of seeing who it's for. 
I'd like to say it's for you if you're a Christian. But we're going to see in Acts 8 as just a sampling that in the Bible, Christian baptism is for disciples. It is for believers. It is for followers. And the pattern is over and over again, I'm just going to use one passage to, I think, exemplify this. The pattern is you believe in Jesus and you obey Jesus. You get baptized. You believe in Jesus, you obey Jesus. It's not something you have to do over and over again, but it's the pattern you see in the Bible. Believe in Jesus, get baptized. A good sampling is Acts chapter 8, verse 12. But when they believed Philip as he preached good news about the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Even Simon himself believed, and after being baptized, he continued with Philip and seeing signs and great miracles performed. He was amazed. I think that's the pattern. I think it's the pattern you end up seeing. If you read a lot of extra-biblical things, uh, two words you'll come across that might stump you, uh, and I can help you out a little bit. You'll see the word credo-baptist, and you'll see the word pedo-baptist. Credo, creed, confession, it's disciples' baptism. You subscribe to a creed. You say, I believe this. That's disciples' baptism, credo-baptism. Pedo-baptism is infant baptism. So I'm a credo-baptist. I think that baptism is for disciples. You say, oh, you tell me about Jesus, that he lived and died and rose for me. Believe in him and you'll be saved. I believe in Jesus. Now what? Be baptized. Be baptized. I don't think there's infant baptism in the Bible. I have friends who disagree with that. You might disagree with that. I think we can still be friends. The classic text to, to sort of prove this is Acts 16. So, so, so if you're in Acts, why don't you go ahead and turn there. I don't want to get too bogged down in this, but again, we, we live even in a, in a culture in Omaha, Nebraska that is predominantly infant sprinkling. Okay? And I'm just going to challenge that and say, look at your Bible. Is it for infants who don't believe? Maybe they'll believe someday. Or is it for people who are Christians? Well, if I were a Presbyterian, I would say, well, there's household baptism, and it's not just believer's baptism, so we should be paedo-baptist, not credo-baptist. I'd take you to Acts 16. Let's go ahead and read it in verse 30. It says, Then he brought them out and said, Acts 16:30, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And They said, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. And so there we have it. It's not just for you, it's for your household, so we're going to do the whole house. But I actually think um, it doesn't seal the deal. I actually think perhaps if that's the only thing we had, we didn't have other texts, we didn't have the flow of the book of Acts, we didn't have the next verse. But we do have the next verse. It says, and they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. Now, if the pattern is believe and be baptized that we see in the book of Acts, and here he's going to speak the word to him and those in his house, you know what? It's not a faulty assumption to say apparently they believed. If we keep reading and they got baptized, and he took them the same hour and night and washed their wounds, and he was baptized at once, he and all his family. Years ago, John MacArthur who's a credo-baptist, 
believer's baptism, and R.C. Sproul, who's a paedo-baptist. They're good friends because they both agree on justification by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. But they have an in-house debate. One believes babies should be sprinkled not for salvation, R.C. Sproul, but as a way of welcoming the children into the covenant community. They do need to believe to be justified, which happens later. And And John MacArthur, you have belief in Christ and then baptism. So they're agreeing on the gospel. And they had a big debate. Todd, you were at that debate, weren't you? Southern California. And they debated amongst friends, both men I respect a lot. Interestingly enough, R.C. Sproul said, and I'm not quoting him, but he said, in essence, household baptism is a bad argument for infant baptism. Now, I think that's given some other fellow Presbyterians indigestion for a long time um, because R.C. Sproul gave away the farm. Okay, that's like the key text. And R.C. Sproul was saying, you know what? That's not even a good argument for infant baptism. So I love to quote R.C. Um, <laughs> for that reason. Just a little bit related to that, it was also interesting that John MacArthur told me in a different conversation, he said, I agreed to that debate amongst friends as long as there was one provision. And the one provision was that I got to go first. He said, because I know the Bible doesn't teach infant baptism. But I know that R.C. Sproul knows history ten times better than I do, and he's going to make his argument based upon history. Kind of interesting. You listen to R.C. too, and and he'll do this to John. Todd can do the imitation better than I can, and I don't have a raspy enough voice, but R.C. will say, John, I know you know the Bible. (laughs) Again and again and again. And you know what? That's how we want it to be. What does the Bible say? You can prove anything from history. Well, the biblical pattern, read through the book of Acts. You believe and you get baptized. It's in that order. You see it unmistakably so again and again and again. In fact, another historical point would be, would be Martin Luther. See, Martin Luther was a baby sprinkler. But Martin Luther at least understood the pattern of Acts to the point where Martin Luther said this, Somehow, the baby believes. Now, you can't prove that. I think Martin Luther was mistaken. But at least Martin Luther understood the biblical pattern is believe and get baptized. And we're baptizing unbelievers. This doesn't work. Therefore, somehow, the infant who's three days old believes. Well, that's pretty tough to prove. But at least Luther understood the pattern. Number five, what does it do? And then we'll do number six, what doesn't it do? What does it do and what doesn't it do? What does it do? Remember, go back to Matthew 28. In the name of, baptize in the name of, it identifies you with. You're saying, He's my sovereign, He's my Savior, He's my Lord. It also, again, not only identifies you with Him, but then uniquely it takes you away from all others ties you to Him. I might also suggest to you, when you read the New Testament, I think you come to the conclusion, or should come to the conclusion, that it says something about the genuineness of profession. In the New Testament, baptism is linked to conversion. What you don't have, what you don't have are people who say they're Christians in the New Testament who don't get baptized. In fact, it's the opposite. If you say you're a Christian, the next thing on the list is where's the water? It's just what you do. 
You, it would be unheard of for somebody to say, well, I'm a Christian, but I've just never been baptized. What? And think about Matthew 28, 18. All authority has been given to me under heaven and on earth. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them. Well, you know what? I just don't think I'm going to get baptized. <laughs> the conclusion would be, well, I just don't think you're a Christian. You don't believe in the absolute sovereignty of Jesus Christ or you would do what he says. And so you do see, to the point where some people get confused, you do see this hand-in-hand association with conversion in the New Testament. So closely so that some people develop a theology that says, get baptized to be justified. No, 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 no. To do that, you've got to take Romans out of your Bible. You've got to take Galatians out of your Bible. You have to take Ephesians out of your Bible. You have to take Philippians out of your Bible. Uh, You have to take... Genesis out of your Bible, because Romans quotes Genesis. Justification is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. But make no mistake about it, don't throw the baby out with... Never mind, that would be cheesy. (laughs) Conversion is tied to this, if you're really a justified person, you're going to do what Jesus says. You're going to obey the Lord's command to be baptized. You don't separate the two like we do. So what does it do? It identifies you. It says something about your genuineness of faith. Just think about New Testament times too. If you're going to get baptized, people probably weren't going to the Hallmark store looking for a card. Congratulations on your baptism, you know? Now, I think there would have been congratulations amongst other believers. You know, good job for doing what what the Lord calls us to do. This is great. Praise God for His work in your life. But the general tenor would be, you just stood up and identified with Jesus as your sovereign Savior. What an insult you brought to our family. Because great-grandpa, great-grandpa was there. He was a Pharisee, and he was one of those who tried to silence that blasphemer. Or maybe even you. Think about Saul. To then stand up and say, He's my Savior. I know my people just crucified Him. He is my Savior. You know what? It would say a lot. We don't have that so much in America right now. There are a select few at Omaha Bible Church I know that have felt the major, major sting because of relationships. But in general, we buy cards and we encourage. That's not altogether bad. But it was a big deal. If you're really a Christian, you're going to be baptized. There's really no question about that. Not because it justifies you, but because if you're justified, it is what you do. Let's move on to a sixth helpful question about Christian water baptism. What doesn't it do? Essentially, we've already seen that. What doesn't it do? It doesn't justify you. It doesn't declare you righteous. It doesn't bring you into a right standing before God. It can't. Or you, again, if you turn to Romans, let's go ahead and do that just quickly. But if it justifies you, if it's what you need to have righteousness before God, then you literally do need to take Romans out of your Bible. You need to take Ephesians out of your Bible. You need to take Galatians out of your Bible. You need to take Philippians out of your Bible. It just doesn't work that way. Romans is over and over and over again. You're justified by faith in Christ period. I won't take the time to do it now. Maybe this would be another good exercise for you. Go through Romans 3, go through Romans 4, and go through Romans 5 and mark wherever it talks about faith, wherever it talks about belief, wherever it talks about trust. All those come from the same Greek word. And notice the emphasis in Romans 3 and 4 and 5 on justification, which is also the word used for righteousness. Same word. How are we 
Righteous in the eyes of God. It's by faith, by faith, by faith, by faith, by faith, and there is no water involved. And then Galatians is its counterpart. Paul promotes justification by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone in Romans, and he defends it with great tenacity in Galatians. I didn't do it in this Bible, but I've done it in other Bibles before. I would encourage you to do that. You're going to start seeing things. You'll see patterns. 322, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. 24, justified by His grace as a gift. Verse 25, to be received by faith. Then there's no boasting. Verse 27, verse 26, so that he might be the just and the justifier of the one who is baptized. No, who has faith in Jesus. It goes like this. Jesus did everything necessary. That's what grace means. It's, salvation is a free gift. You don't do anything. And you trust in him which is faith or belief. It's all about Him, not Him, and then we do these things. So we must say what it doesn't do. It doesn't justify. Let's go to Titus now. Titus is toward the end of the Bible. I've been spending a lot of time in Titus lately because on Sunday nights in September when we ramp up for Sunday evening services on the 1st and 3rd, uh, I'm just looking forward to preaching through Titus. Titus is really uh, about this whole business of of what happens when the gospel shows up in a city. The city is Crete, and the gospel comes, and the gospel changes everything. It changes relationships, it changes standing before God, it changes behavior, and uh, it's a great book, and I'm giving you a preview now. But as you think about what it doesn't do, I just want you to know that sometimes people say it makes you a Christian, baptism does, and here's how they, here's how they do it. They're going to take you to Titus, and you're going to be intimidated because they're going to use big words, and they're going to talk about their degrees, and their collar might be backward, which is intimidating. And they're going to take you to Titus 3, and they're going to show you baptismal regeneration. Please keep your brain turned on. Because they're going to find something that looks like water. And you know where there's water, it's baptism. Well... We'll see that that's not the case. Look at verse 5. He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy, by the washing. So the first part of verse 5, you're going to say really quietly. That's how they're going to talk to you. But then they're going to raise their voice, washing of regeneration, ah, baptism, and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom He poured, put emphasis on that word, out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior. Please keep your brain turned on. Please don't read the Bible like that. Please don't be gullible. We need to reclaim this passage. It teaches the opposite of baptismal regeneration. It doesn't teach that if we do something, God saves us. Let's read it again. Let's read it loudly everywhere. How about that? Verse 5 again. He saved us. Oh, we're passive in the process. He does it. This is, this is not baptism. He saved us. He does it not because of works done in righteousness. Oh, like baptism? 
He's saying the opposite. It's, it's the opposite of baptismal regeneration, right? A work done in righteousness would be baptism or something else. But according to his own mercy, by the washing of water? No, it doesn't say that. By the washing of regeneration. He's using it as a figure of speech. Regeneration. This is a dry washing, if you will. Regeneration. What is that? That doesn't get you wet. And renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us. What did he pour? Did he pour water on us? No. In fact, it's not what did he pour. Whom did he pour? Look at verse 5. It's the Holy Spirit whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Then he goes on to talk about it in verse 8. To those who have believed. And then the good works come afterward. I plead with you, please. Justification doesn't come. Regeneration doesn't come, for that matter. By baptism, it's all by grace and His mercy. There are other passages that are used and can be challenging. In fact, if you would like, I have tried to work through each one of them in a little book we have called The Truth About Water Baptism. Uh, you can get one in the bookstore. They'll give it to you. If you want to look, look, look through each of the passages that are typically used, you can work through it. Again, you can prove anything with the Bible, but if you stand back and look at the big picture, I think you're going to want to leave Romans in your Bible. You're going to want to leave Galatians in your Bible. You want to leave Ephesians in your Bible. You want to leave... I don't know which ones I've mentioned. I don't know. You're going to want to leave your Bible intact. And by the way... In Romans 4, he quotes Genesis. This is how God has always saved people. Only by his grace. Only through faith. Okay? Well, I've been PC kind of so far. I've been like, you know, circling, going around. What it doesn't do. I need to not be PC. To not be politically correct. I want you to be motivated in the city of Omaha. See, the Omaha is filled with people who believe somehow baptism is going to get them a secure spot in heaven. And you need to know that, and you need to think through which side of the line that Paul draws in Galatians are you on, and which side is the right side of the line. So I'll quote from two religious sources um, and give you the contrast. This is the Catechism of the Catholic Church, page 321, of the copy that's in my office. By baptism, all sins are forgiven, original sin and all personal sins, as well as all punishment for sin. If you believe that, you're on one side of the Galatians line. If you believe in justification by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone, you're on another side of the line in Galatians. And you say, can't we all be right as long as we smile and have good motives? That's not how it works. Read Galatians. Are you depending upon something you do or that is done to you by another human being or are you depending upon what has been done for you by Christ and they both can't be gospel truth? So we're not talking about two different denominations. We're talking about two fundamentally different religions. Another quotation a little bit closer to home for me personally. This is from a booklet called Why Baptize Infants, 
published in 1981, Augsburg Press, which you might know as a Lutheran publisher. This is under a subtitle called Baptism Saves. Baptism establishes a new relationship with God. Through Christian baptism, we have our sins forgiven, become heirs of eternal life, and can remain his children forever. Amazing grace. End of quotation. Now, I don't want to play mean guy. Okay? I just want to be loved. Is that so wrong? You know, I mean, I don't want to be that guy. But I think I would be a pretty rotten pastor if I just ignored the realities. Again, the Apostle Paul, with tears in the church, knowing the savage wolves would come in even from among them. And so he even names names. And he writes Galatians. We can't both be right. Is it all of what Jesus did? Or is it what Jesus did and what we do and then eventually God will accept us? Two different religions. Distinctly so. And we need to think about this long and hard. Maybe one other text that I want to draw your attention to before we begin wrapping things up quicker than slower. It's two texts, actually. I want you to put your finger on two passages because I, I think this is helpful to have. Romans 1 and 1 Corinthians 1. Romans 1 and 1 Corinthians 1. And if you look at those two texts, it might be helpful for you, again, living in our city, maybe even thinking through some of these issues yourself, of, of okay, gospel, is it only by faith? What about baptism? Doesn't that play a part of the gospel? Is it part of the gospel? How does this work? I think it might be helpful. I found it to be very much so. If you go to Romans 1, verse 16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. Read it way too fast. Okay. Gospel is in there, right? Verse 16. What's the power of God for salvation? Well, it's the gospel. Who's it for? For everyone who believes. Right? I didn't do any kind of Jedi mind trick. It's all there, right? Gospel is the power of God unto salvation. And who's it for? It's for those who believe. And he unpacks that for the rest of the book. Keep your finger there and you can maybe make a note and go to 1 Corinthians. And in 1 Corinthians, he's going to distinctly, explicitly teach that baptism isn't not a part of the gospel. The gospel is what brings salvation to those who believe. And then he purposely takes baptism out of that equation. 1 Corinthians 1, 17 says, For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel not with words of eloquent wisdom. If anything is true about baptism, baptism is not a part of the gospel. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. And the gospel is what saves those who believe. Romans chapter 1. Helpful to keep your finger on those two passages. Helpful to keep those two things in mind. What does it do? It identifies you with Christ in a great and radical way. What doesn't it do? It certainly doesn't justify you. Because if it does, Jesus didn't do enough. Jesus didn't do enough. Am I being being nice enough, aren't I? If we were living in other days. I mean, just, just for clarity's sake, Omaha Bible Church is a Protestant church. In case nobody told you. Um... 
So, I mean, there's history. Um, I, I am being really PC because I'm, I'm not saying what has been said. Um, dealing with reality, serious issues, gospel issues, issues of eternal life kind of issues. That's why I love, I love baptism. You know, this is a great equipping time. I mean, it, it, again, if you say to somebody in two or three weeks when we have a baptism service, you know, and you say to them, hey, what are you doing this weekend? Stand or whatever. And they say, oh, we're going to Branson, you know, and having a good time. Oh, good. You know, they're going to say, well, what are you doing this weekend? Oh, you know, I think we're going to have a barbecue. And, you know, we're also, uh, we're having a baptism service in our church on Sunday night, and I, I think I'm going to go to that too. Well, it might kind of spoil the social moment, but uh, there's probably going to be some conversation. And the amazing thing about baptism is baptism does something amazing. It gets people talking about what it is to stand before God. It's just a great lead-in for the gospel. I love to talk about it. I remember when Molly and I got engaged and uh, living in Lincoln, and I had all my gym rat friends and working out of the gym. And, and, you know, it's just what you do. I'm a brand-new Christian. So, you know, what are you doing this weekend? And I'd ask my buddies, you know, what are you doing this weekend? Oh, you know, we're, we're having a kegger. We're doing all this and whatever they're doing. Waiting for them. You know? What are you doing this weekend? Oh, it's going to be a great weekend. I'm planning to get engaged and to get baptized. Well, it was kind of a bummer because they had an out. Oh, really? When are you going to propose? <laughs> ignore, ignore, ignore. And I tried it later and then I would... Same thing happened. But it's just a, a lead-in. You say, you know what, here's what happened. Here's what's happening. And I can almost guarantee you, you'll find an open door to talk about the gospel. But many times when you ask someone, oh, you say you're a Christian, you know, what, what are you depending upon to get you to heaven? Over and over again, people in the city of Omaha will say, I was baptized. Clues you in to know, I need to evangelize. Because they don't understand the gospel. They need to be freed from this bondage. We have such fertile ground in Omaha for evangelism. It is amazing. People who say they're Christians, they say that they believe the Bible is true, but they somehow are tied to works righteousness. Take advantage of it. It's just a great, great opportunity. Number seven, is it required? Trick question alert. Trick question alert. Is it required? Well, it's not required for justification. But how about it is required if there has been justification? It's probably a good way to look at it. See, we want to go too far and say it's not required for justification, therefore it's not required for anything. And I'm going, come on, what about Matthew 28, 18, 19, and 20? Not required? Huh? Try to tell that to first century people. It most certainly is required. You're going you're to believe in Jesus? This is a public kind of thing. It's going to have you being baptized. It shows that, that it's a legitimate thing. Number eight, eighth, eighth helpful question. Should it ever be done again? Should it ever be done again? Trick question alert, trick question alert. Well, Ephesians 4, 5 says there's only one baptism. I think you could pretty argue pretty successfully it's talking about spirit baptism, but let's just grant that it's water baptism. Should it ever be done again? And I say no. With a follow-up. Some of you have asked me, many people have asked me, should I be baptized a second time? And I say, no, I don't think you should ever be baptized a second time. 
But if you've never been baptized the Christian way, you should be baptized the Christian way the first time. So I've been sprinkled as an infant, and I've been immersed as a disciple. I've been baptized one time. Other people, so that might fit some of you. You're sprinkled as a baby, you didn't believe, you didn't know anything. And I'm saying to you, you should be baptized the first time as a Christian. Immersion, not sprinkling, as a disciple. It's the biblical pattern. It doesn't save you. It's the biblical pattern. You should do that if you've never done that. Other times people say, well, I was immersed in XYZ Baptist Church when I was four years old because my seven-year-old brother or sister did it and it seemed like the right thing to do. And you know what? I have now been living a life of enslavement to sin and I clearly wasn't a Christian and it's 30 years ahead now and I know that I'm a Christian now. Should I be baptized again? Same answer. No. But you should be baptized the Christian way which follows your being a disciple of Jesus the first time. You should do it the first time, the Christian way. So that's how I would answer that question. And finally, number nine. When did you obey the Lord's command to be baptized as a disciple? That question's for you. And if you haven't, you should. We have a class coming up next week. Baptism coming up in three weeks. Love to have you obey the Lord's command to be baptized because you have been justified. Be great. One thing I failed to do this morning, and I uh, failed to do it first hour as well, and uh, I just want to follow up on it just to end on this note. We're going to die on one hill when it comes to this, this issue. And the hill is the gospel hill. Okay? Omaha Bible Church doesn't think that we have everything figured out. I don't think I have everything figured out. The hill we're going to die on is the gospel hill. I'm not going to die on the hill of it must be immersion, can't be sprinkling, can't be pouring. We can have some really good debate about that, and I think it's kind of a no-brainer. I'll just quote Calvin. It's immersion. I'm not going to die on that hill. You know, that's why John MacArthur and R.C. Sproul can be such good friends, because they both agree on the gospel that it's by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. That's why we would have, that's why we would have a believing Presbyterian preach here. We're going to have disagreement on infant baptism, but it's not about salvation because a believing Presbyterian doesn't believe that baptism makes you a Christian. But we're going to agree on the gospel, okay? But what we would not do is we would not have someone who believes that baptism makes you a Christian preach here. And we would not have fellowship because we're going to die on that hill because it's the Galatian hill. So when I meet someone who says, I sprinkled my kids to welcome them into the covenant community, it's a Presbyterian view, but I believe in salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone. We're going to have a good lunch, okay? And we might have a little bit of debating, 
but we're going to have a good lunch. But if I have lunch with someone who believes that baptism makes them a Christian, we're going to have a good lunch then too. But I am going to preach the gospel. I'm going to evangelize because they are clinging to something other than the total, complete, and absolute righteousness of Christ for their eternal destiny. Does that make sense? Let's not try to die on every hill because we need to, of all people, need to know we don't have it all figured out. But we ought to have the gospel figured out. If you've not been baptized, we want you to be baptized. Omaha Bible Church, we should be a baptizing church because Jesus has all authority and he says make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And so this cycle is never going to end because once we get baptized, those disciples who baptized us are going to teach us everything Jesus taught, which would include baptism. And we're going to see this happening over and over and over and over again. So we want to be a baptizing church because we're a gospel preaching church and we want to see people obey Christ. Let's pray. Father, thanks for this morning and I pray for those men and women who are here today who are yet to obey the Lord Jesus Christ's command to be baptized, that they would want to do that and they would want to do that as a great way of honoring Christ and even showing that He is indeed the one who has all authority. And Lord, for those who are here who've obeyed the Lord's command, Lord, thank you. Thank you for bringing fruit in their life and light a fire in them and under them, if necessary, to be willing to, to seize the great opportunity we have in Omaha to open our mouths and to speak about these truths about Christ, that we would be like Jesus even in the passage we read earlier this morning, that we would love people, not so that we can insult them, but so that we can speak the truth in love to them. In Jesus' name, amen.